When three women mysteriously disappear in Santa Ana, California, it takes an unwavering and bold detective to find justice. Detective Julissa Trapp always wanted to be a cop, and she is. But she's not like the average cop. She's the only woman on an all-male homicide squad. But she does her job in what may be seen as, well, unconventional. In a brand new podcast from Wondery and the Los Angeles Times, Detective Trapp will take you into the life of a cop who is relentless. Hosted by Dirty John's award-winning journalist, Chris Gofford, Detective Trap is a story of a detective who must fight through her personal struggles and society's indifference to bring a serial killer to justice. The strongest resource Trap uses in catching dangerous criminals? Her personal experience. Trap goes all in to find the person responsible for the murders of the three women who went missing. Her search will take her to lengths that might shock you, but she is driven by finding justice for the victims and their families. From going undercover as a sex worker to facing a man who takes, quote, a little piece of her soul with every encounter, there is nothing Detective Trap won't do. I'm about to play you a preview of Detective Trap. While listening, go ahead and subscribe to Detective Trap on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And you can also find a link in the show notes. Enjoy. One morning in April 2014, Julissa Trapp woke before sunrise and went to her closet. I know I probably went through at least three or four shirts. Just staring at, like, trying to decide what to wear. She would have to make a thousand calculations that day. Some of her choices would be right out of the homicide investigation manual. Some of them would be influenced by the small army of other cops who watched her work. Some would be instinctive and hard to fully explain. I remember thinking to myself, this is just like any other interview. Don't let it get into your head. Of course, it wasn't just any interview. Soon she would walk into a windowless 8 by 10 room and sit face to face with a man she had been hunting for the last month. To walk into an interrogation room was to play a character, she liked to say. And that began with the right costume. It was a strategy and advice I got from an FBI agent when I worked sex crimes, that pink is a soft color, it's very approachable, non-threatening, and so that was something that I traditionally wore. I, I reached for those first, and it just didn't feel right. At the Anaheim Police Department, where she worked, Trapp was known as a master interrogator. That depended on finding exactly the right persona for the room. Would she be a mother? A sister? A friend willing to listen? I think part of it was there was people that told me, like, do you think he's even going to want to talk to you? Like, do you think he hates women? One woman was dead. Three others had vanished. Today might be the last chance to get answers about their fate. If the missing women were alive, the man in the interrogation room might reveal where they were. If they were dead, as she suspected, the man might be talked, maybe tricked, into revealing how she could bring the bodies home. Julissa Trapp had missing persons of her own, and she carried them on her skin, so they confronted her when she stood in the mirror, as she did now. They were represented by four black birds tattooed in a straight line under her collarbone. They were swallows, the bird that carries souls. She thought of each one as a kind of scar, but also a reminder of the mystery of fate that had brought her here to this particular morning and this particular case. 
For this adversary, she thought it was important to look approachable, but also to project strength. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to decide, like, what do you wear when you're interviewing a serial killer? She picked an emerald green blouse. I wanted a color that looked good on me, but also that kind of signified a little bit of power. Emerald green just kind of seemed to hit it. I wanted him to know he was in control of that room. Detective Trapp put it on, over the swallows, and grabbed her badge. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. From the Los Angeles Times and Wondery, I'm Christopher Gofford, and this is Detective Trap. This is episode one, All the Missing. Anaheim Police Department headquarters is in a red brick building that cops call The Barn. It's been a second home for Julissa Trapp for most of her life. She now works at a cubicle on the second floor, where she's the only woman on the eight-person homicide unit, or what she calls the Varsity Squad. The case that would consume her for years, the case that this story is about, began a few miles away in Santa Ana, the densely packed county seat women began disappearing from the streets there in the fall of 2013. Trapp would come to know their life stories intimately, and their faces would stare at her from the corkboard beside her cubicle. But initially, the case belonged to the police department in Santa Ana, where the missing persons unit had just one full-time investigator, a civilian, handling nearly 100 missing persons reports a month. The first to vanish was Kiana Jackson, who had just celebrated her 20th birthday. She had grown up in Northern California's logging country and left home in her late teens. She had been living in Las Vegas and had fallen into the grip of a man her mother came to believe was a pimp. It wasn't like she got out of high school and said, or as she was growing up said, well, this is what I wanna be, I wanna go be this. Kiana Jackson's mother, Kathy Menzies, raised her in a small timber town with one high school and a railroad museum. She got thrown into a big city and got swiped up because somebody saw her vulnerabilities. Menzies says they kept in close touch, talking or texting every day. She saw something funny and took a picture of it and sent it to me, or she heard this funny joke and wanted to share it with me, or, you know, I mean, during the day it was, oh, I'm gonna make dinner tonight, What? how do I make this? In the first week of October 2013, Kiana Jackson took a Greyhound bus to Santa Ana. When her mother didn't hear from her for a few days, she reported her missing to the Santa Ana Police Department. The person she talked to had looked up Kiana's rap sheet and found she had a record for prostitution. And I thought, okay, well then, okay, but that still doesn't mean she's an invalid person. She's a human being just like anyone else. She has a right to be looked for. He just said, he goes, just so you know, prostitutes work circuits. 
from what I understand now is what he was meaning was, you know, they move from town to town. And I said, well, what you don't understand is, okay, maybe she was working circuits at the time she was talking to me all the time, but she talks to me daily. I see something from her daily, whether it's a voice, hear her voice, see a text message, something. She called Orange County hospitals. She called the morgue. No trace of Kiana. She called the Motel 6 where she'd been staying. Kiana had left her things in her room and not returned. Weeks passed and the mother's panic and desperation grew. At the Santa Ana PD, it was not considered a high priority case. It would be months before police got a warrant for Kiana's cell phone records to determine where it was last pinging. In the meantime, 18 days after Kiana Jackson went missing, a second woman disappeared. That was just a preview of Detective Trap. To hear the rest of the episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.